Well, if you'd have told me this time last year at the start of 2012 that I would see video footage, and on the BBC, no less, of the Queen skydiving with James Bond, I don't think I'd have believed you, but there you go. Life is full of surprises. And now, at the start of 2013, there's no doubt there will be things that happen which we're not expecting, things which really come out of the blue. And this year, there'll be both trivial events and massive issues, which right now we know nothing about. But in the passage we're looking at this evening, Jesus tells us some things which we can expect. As we stand here at the very beginning of a whole new year, this is a great passage for us to think about and to remember in the year ahead, as here Jesus tells us what being his disciple will be like in 2013, 2014, and beyond. And there are two things that he tells us. Firstly, that it will be hard, that following him will mean we encounter difficulties and struggles. And then the second thing, he tells us that although it's hard, it's worth it, that the glory and the prize which await those who follow him will be incomparably greater than anything which comes up against us here on earth as his disciples. So let's read our passage together now. It's Mark 8, 34 to 9, verse 8, and that's on page uh, 1012 of the Blue Church Bibles. Then he called the crowds to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God Come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now there's some... Very brief notes on the back of the service sheet to help us as we look at this this evening. But first, and and much more helpfully, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true and that it is powerful and that it speaks more accurately and relevantly into our lives today than anything else. Lord, please tune our ears to hear you this evening. And whether we've known you for a long time, for a short time, or if we're still searching for you, please speak to us and teach us through your word, the Bible, tonight. Amen. So just to put this passage in context, in the first eight chapters of his gospel, 
Mark has been laying out exactly who Jesus is. We've seen his miracles, we've heard his teaching, and just before our passage here, and you'll see it down in uh, verse 28 of chapter 8, uh, Peter con- sorry, verse 29 of chapter 8, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. And Jesus follows this in verse 31 to 33 by teaching that his Messiahship will involve suffering and that he will have to die. And now, in our passage this evening, Jesus turns his teaching to the disciples and what it will mean for them to follow him. So, here we get to the first point on the sheet. And as we mentioned earlier, Jesus tells us that following him is going to be hard. Let me read again verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, I wonder what jumps out at you right from the very start of our first verse. What is it in here that makes us sit up and listen to what Jesus is teaching? I think it's striking that Mark and Jesus both show us that this is a teaching for anyone who would follow Jesus. Mark tells us that Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And Jesus begins by saying, if anyone would come after me. And Jesus is calling us, all of us who would follow Jesus, all of us who are considering following Jesus. And what he's going to say here isn't just for the religious fanatic or for the the paid Christian worker or even just for the especially keen. No, he's going to give us a description of the Christian life, the experience of every true disciple of Jesus. If anyone would come after me. So what is this experience? Let's read the rest of verse 34. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, I don't know if the disciples, or if we this evening had been hoping for an easy ride, Jesus throws that straight out the window as he speaks plainly and honestly. And he doesn't try and trick people into following him by promising that all their problems will disappear. He tells them straight up that being a Christian is hard. And in our, in our verse here, we've got three stages of what this will look like. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. So let's look at these in turn. Firstly, to deny ourselves. And, and straight away, we can see this is going to be a teaching which will be at odds with the world. Why would we deny ourselves? Surely we have to go out and get what we want. You know, if it feels good, do it. You have to help yourself. That's what the world says. And if we're honest, we're much more like this than we'd like to admit. But Christ teaches that in following him, we have to deny ourselves. And this means that our self is no longer the center of our lives. It's not what do I want, what can I get, what suits me. But we deny ourselves and remove ourselves from the center of our life, and instead, God takes that position. And we've got various mission partners here from the church who work abroad, and and these are very smart people. I imagine that when David Robrey or or Jen Wright went to the careers office at at university, uh, they were given various ideas of jobs that pay well, that have good prospects, where they could work up through the ranks. I'd be very surprised if it was recommended to them that they could give up the comforts of a Western life and move to Africa and help translate the Bible into the native languages there. That that just makes no sense to the world. 
but it makes perfect sense when we're denying our self-control of our lives and instead giving it to God. And that's an an extreme example. We shouldn't all be uh, moving to Africa. We shouldn't feel bad that we've not been called to do that. God has different things for us. But it is challenging to see these people here, to talk to them and see such an obvious example of this teaching being lived out. But God doesn't call us all to leave home or our country. His purpose for us can be right here. So then how can we live this out in Edinburgh? How do we deny ourselves here? Well, what about even in our church? It's so easy to come to church even with ourselves at the center of our lives and not God. How am I going to be fed? Is the church properly looking after me? But churches move forwards when people take themselves out of the center and have God and the gospel there. And when people look how they can serve and not just how they can be served. And again, this isn't just for the the ministers or for the elders or for the staff, but this is for all of us as a church family. We're called to deny ourselves and serve God together. So that's the the first stage given. We deny ourselves. And what's next? Take up their cross, Jesus says. There will be challenges to face as we seek to follow Jesus. And it's really important to say here, this doesn't mean that uh, Christians have to be masochists, that we go out and find things that we really don't want to do. That's not what it's saying. It's also, this is distinct from the difficulties which all people face, Christians and non-Christians. But to take up our cross here is to faithfully bear the trouble which will come upon us specifically because we follow Christ. And this comes on us in in three major ways. There's a, a cost due to evangelism, There's a cost due to being distinctive, and there's a cost due to living godly lives. Let me try and give a quick example of each of these. The the cost due to evangelism, well, many of you here will have invited people to various events at church over the Christmas period, and this in itself is a challenge. But having done that, lots of people will have been disappointed as, as friends just weren't really keen or even let people down right at the last minute. Perhaps even harder, people have said that they will come, they have come along, but they've been offended by the gospel and that they've told you that they won't be coming back to your church. The difficulty of of these reactions is a difficulty that we could avoid, but we choose to take it up as we follow Jesus and his command to spread the good news. And what about the cost due to being distinctive. Well, this is something we know right through school or or university and work, that if we live as Christians, we'll be different from our classmates, we'll be different from our colleagues and our friends. And this cost is especially clear when living distinctively as a Christian means we'll have to dramatically change our lifestyle. When we become very different from the people we used to do, when we don't do the same things that we used to. And this can involve us losing friends, And the only way we can avoid this cost is by being the same as everyone else. But we take up this cost. We take up this cross when we commit to following Jesus and living to please him. And just a quick thought on the uh, cost due to living godly lives, the cost of personal holiness and following Jesus even when no one is watching. And this affects our finances, it takes up our free time, and there are countless ways in which living godly lives will cost us. But again, this is the cross we must take up to follow him. 
And let's just remember here the forcefulness of this phrase, take up your cross. And the cross was the most brutal means of torture ever devised. It took people's lives in in pain and cruelty and shame. And Jesus doesn't use this term lightly here. He may be speaking figuratively, but that doesn't mean that he's exaggerating. The cross we take up consumes our whole lives and is unlikely to bring us recognition or an easy life or respect, but often pain and difficulty. So how can we bear this? Well, the answer is here. Thirdly, follow me, says Jesus. In all that we've talked about, we're following Christ's example. And this causes us to keep on going. We're not doing anything which he hasn't done first, and to a much greater extent. So we keep following, we do this each day, each week, each year, and this is a hard teaching, a hard decision to make. It's also a lifelong decision. It's great to be reminded of this at the start of the year. Are we just to aimlessly wander through this year without any real goal or purpose? No. We have this amazing, challenging invitation from Jesus Christ himself, who says, follow me. So we deny ourselves as Christ did. We take up our cross as Christ very literally did, and we follow him. And where did he carry his cross to? Well, he carried it to his death. And he urges us to deny ourselves and carry our cross throughout our lives. So we have these three stages of what being a Christian will be like. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And as we said at the start, Jesus is really honest here. He tells us that following him will be hard. But there is encouragement to come, don't worry. But just before this, I just want to ask a quick question. When I was younger, I think I was quite... Uh, an annoying child, which is perhaps hard to believe, but, but it's true. Uh, you know the sort who are always asking, oh, why this, why that, you know, why do this, why, why, why? Uh, I'm sure I wasn't the only one. Well, it must have just been a nightmare. But I think in this case, it's a really important question to ask. We've seen what following Christ looks like. It's hard, but why? Why does coming after Jesus, being his disciple, have to be like this? Why do we face this opposition? Didn't Christ defeat death and Satan when he died on the cross? Well, the answer to that is yes. Christ has defeated evil and the devil, and that is finished beyond doubt. That is a battle which Christ has already won. So why do we keep facing this opposition? Why is it not just plain sailing for us now? Well, John Stott answers that question like this. Though the devil has been defeated, he has not yet been eliminated. In fact, he continues to wield great power. This is the reason for the tension we feel. And we live in the last days between Christ's first coming and his second coming, and we work to advance God's kingdom to win as many people for Christ as we can before he returns. And that will be when all evil will be destroyed for eternity and when everything will be perfect. Then there'll be no more suffering and and Satan will be no more. But until then, he'll be actively working against us as we suffer to advance the kingdom, just as Christ did. And this is why being a Christian is hard, that even though we know the result, we're still involved in a battle. 
So for all of us, if we're committed to following Jesus, it's going to be difficult because we're in a battle. And it's important that we hear this at the start of the year because it lets us know what we're in for. But it also offers us encouragement. So often we see a deal that seems too good to be true. An amazing offer in big letters comes in through the post. I get envelopes. It says, you know, uh, Alistair, would you like free cash now? And I think about it for a second. I think I would quite like that. Uh, But then when I look a little bit closer, there's a little star next to free. And I look at the bottom. We have all the small print. And and suddenly it's not such a great deal. In fact, it's a bit of a rip-off. But what we can see from Jesus' teaching tonight is that Jesus is not like this. Jesus doesn't hide these difficulties away, but he tells us plainly so that when they arrive, we're not taken off guard and discouraged. When the challenges arrive, we don't give up because we see that we're exactly where Jesus told us we would be. And this is an encouragement that we can hold on to in all the difficult times we find ourselves in. But the encouragement in this passage goes beyond that. We've been looking at some really hard stuff. And if we're Christians, or even if we're not Christians, we might say, well, I I see that being a Christian is hard. I, I see the reason behind it, but why would I want to bother being part of that? Well, now as we turn to the second point on the sheet, Jesus goes on to tell us that although following him will be hard, it's worth it. Let's remind ourselves of verses 35 to 38. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. See, if we go the way of the world, rather than giving up our lives, we strive to keep hold of it, to be our own boss, to do what we want. But verse 35 tells us that whoever does this, whoever tries to save their own life, will lose it. It's only those who lose their life for Christ and for the gospel who will save it. And this is a a logical argument. Uh, The only way that we can obtain full, eternal life is by giving our temporary earthly lives fully to Christ. It's worth it. And verse 36 continues, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? We can decide that we're not going to deny ourselves anything, that we can obtain for ourselves everything in the world, but it won't last. And if that's our priority, it'll be the expense of our soul, which is of eternal significance. As verse 37 says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So again, saving our soul, which is priceless, rather than earthly possessions, which fade. It's worth it. And finally, in verse 38, how many of us can identify with this? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We all get those times, don't we, perhaps when our our pulse quickens slightly as we know that we have the opportunity to speak about Christ in a conversation. And, And will we take this chance or not? And again here, logically speaking, there is just no comparison. If we speak out about God and are proud of his words, we might stick out, we might even have to go against what everyone else thinks is perfectly reasonable. We might even be laughed at. 
But our prize is Christ returning in glory with angels and welcoming us home as good and faithful servants. It's definitely worth it. American missionary Jim Elliott summed up this teaching expertly with his motto. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And he also lived this out. He went to Ecuador as a missionary to preach the gospel and was martyred there. He was killed for his faith. But now he has eternal life in heaven, uh, which cannot be taken away. And I bet that every day he realizes that giving everything here on earth, even his very life for Jesus, was the best decision he could have ever made. So what good is it for a man to gain the world yet forfeit his soul? When we, when we hear it put like this in these simple, logical arguments, it's just a really obvious decision to make. We'd be, we'd be crazy not to. But so many people do. And that is the world we live in. That's why we're out to share the gospel, the good news, with the people that we meet, that there is so much more and that God longs to give it to us. So we've had this powerful encouragement from Jesus that whatever we face here for the sake of the gospel, it is worth it for the eternal reward we have with him. But things are still hard for the disciples. They've just had everything they thought they knew turned upside down. So now Jesus takes his encouragement even further and he gives them a glimpse of the glory to come. Let me read again uh, chapter 9 verses 1 to 8. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some of you are standing here, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, there's boundless theology involved in this episode in in the Transfiguration, and there's countless uh, PhDs and lectures and and books looking into the details of it. Um, What I want us to do tonight, though, as we close, is to see the big picture. And what we need to see is that the Transfiguration is, above all, a huge encouragement to the struggling disciples. And after the challenging teaching of Jesus that we've looked at this evening, we need it to be a huge encouragement to us as well. Peter, James, and John have have perhaps started to doubt that Jesus was quite as great as they thought he was. So here, Jesus shows them that his glory is greater than anything they can imagine. They see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, hence Elijah and Moses. They see that he is God's son, as God himself tells them. And they see the glory of Christ beyond the cross, a glimpse of the glorious returning Christ, a glimpse of the glory that they will one day be part of. 
And if we're Christians here this evening, perhaps we know in our head that the hardships of discipleship are worth it. But this is how we really move that knowledge into our heart. We see his glory. And this is a real encouragement that Jesus has the power to keep all the promises which he's made in chapter 8. That he can give us eternal life, that he can rescue our souls, and that he will return victorious in glory. And there's no doubt, as you can imagine, that this is an event that Peter, James, and John would never forget. This is an encouragement which they would need to hold on to as they spent the remainder of their lives struggling and suffering to advance the gospel. And Peter passes on this encouragement to other believers in his second letter. 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18 say this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Jesus encouraged the disciples by showing them his glory on the mountain. And Peter encouraged Christian believers by reminding them of this amazing event. And we, 2,000 years later, should still see this great demonstration of Jesus' glory as an encouragement for us to keep on going. That whatever the cost of our discipleship, the glory awaiting us far outweighs it. Whatever the suffering we go through, however heavy the cross we take up for Christ and the gospel, it is incomparably small when compared to the joy and eternal satisfaction we will have when we are welcomed home by Christ. And finally, on the mountain, as well as an encouragement, we get a challenge. Let's look down to verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And here God speaks from heaven to the disciples, confirming that Jesus is the Son of God and that his teaching is true and they must listen to it. And this is the commissioning of the disciples to do God's work in advancing his kingdom. And for those of us here this evening who are Christians and and those who perhaps have been Christians for years and years and years, then this is a recommissioning for us in 2013. The simple challenge for tonight And for this year is, will we listen to what Jesus has to say about the cost of being a disciple? Will we again this year deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? And Jesus says that it will be hard, but this challenge comes with a huge encouragement of amazing glory which awaits us. That following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. Or perhaps you're here this evening and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. Perhaps you've been through a Christianity Explored course or you've been here over uh, to a Christmas service. Uh, Perhaps it's just a new year and you thought you would give church a go. Or perhaps this isn't quite what you're expecting. But it's really important that you hear what Christianity is really all about. And it's important that you hear the invitation which Jesus gives to follow him. God doesn't promise all 
promise us all escape from difficulty. We've just been talking about how hard Christianity is. But what God does promise is that those who commit to following Christ, who follow him even when it's difficult, will finally see him in all his glory and be brought into this amazing inheritance of glory as well. That it will all be worth it. Let's pray. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, they must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Lord, we pray that this year, by your grace, we will be committed followers of you, prepared to bear the cost and take up our cross, whatever the situation. Lord, we thank you that you give us both the strength and the encouragement to do this. Please help us more and more to see and appreciate your glory and power and to know that the truth that you can and will keep your promises to us. That following you is the only real way to save our life and that if we do this, one day we will share with you in your glory. Amen.